Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Hello, hello, my friends. It is so nice to have another week with you. I love starting my days off connecting with all of you who listen and tune in week after week. If this is your first time listening to Breast Cancer Conversations, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I have to say, in terms of just you know connecting with all of you, I am always overwhelmed with how many of you are listening to our podcast and connecting on social media, on our Instagram account, Surviving Breast Cancer Org, on Twitter, SBC underscore ORG, and attending our Thursday Night Thrivers Meetup, where we just hang out with our no agenda plan every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern. You guys are my world. You've come with such great ideas that we actually put in so many of your ideas into our actual programs. For example, each week on Mondays, we produce and publish the poems that you guys submit. We also have started our Movement Monday workshops and classes, our writing series, poetry slams, and so much more. So again, it's because of you, our listeners, that we take your advice, your recommendations, and make them a reality. So I have to give you all the love in the world, and thank you again so much for being part of this SBC community. In today's episode, I am so pleased to be speaking with Lori and Lisa. Lori and Lisa share their own experiences of dealing with death, personal loss, and tragedy. They also share with us how they got into the death space as an arena, as a field in and of itself. The two women got together, forged a long-lasting friendship, and are the creators of the death deck. What is the death deck? It's actually a card game. And who would have thought someone would make a game out of death? However, it is something that we don't talk about. We don't talk about freely. And it's also some tough conversations that we dread having. And in fact, most of us will probably avoid the conversations to the extent possible. In today's episode, Lisa and Lori share with us this wonderful game. We even play a few rounds. So get ready. Welcome to the conversation. Being in the end of life space was never on my radar. Um, it was something that you know I didn't talk about uh, until it happened to me um, in my personal life. That it became something to where I realized, wait, how how come we aren't talking about this? And I'll explain a little more. But basically, about thirteen years ago, my husband got a diagnosis for stage four pancreatic cancer. So, you know, that was the first time someone in my family had something like that. And it was sudden, it was confusing, it was shocking. And it was something that, you know, we were probably in a a bit of denial about with that particular cancer, but he was young and we went on, you know, the... The theory that, you know, he was a statistic of one and he could beat this and we held hope and, you know, it played its course out and got to a point where it was something that uh, that took his life a year after diagnosis. And it was there in hospice when he was in his last weeks of life that I met Lisa Paul, who was the hospice social worker that came in to to help us through and through many conversations with Lisa about, you know, end of life and conversations and whatnot, um, I realized that I, I was very, very common in my journey that, you know, we didn't 
talk about the things that we should have. We didn't sit down and have these conversations. We had paperwork, but we didn't have conversations. And it was from that and also from, you know, a conversation I had to have with him uh, a couple of months before he died that I finally got all the information really quick that I needed to get. And I didn't get all the information and it was not the time or place to have a conversation like that. So, you know, from that lack and that need, I realized, you know, what, what could we be doing out there to help people? You know, how, how come we didn't have these conversations and how can I help other people to not get into that position that I got into? And from there, um, the game was born. It's, you know, you hope for the best, but you prepare for the worst. And we didn't prepare for the worst. We just did the, the first part. I think both parts are, are very important to acknowledge. Yeah. And what I hear you also saying, too, is like through this experience, recognizing that it's better to make some of these decisions and have these conversations before you're at that point of crisis, needing to kind of hurry and go around and quickly put everything together. I think that's been a recurring theme that we hear um, when talking to people that, you know, it's. I have these conversations almost every other Sunday and I lie in bed with my boyfriend and I'm like, okay, so do we have a will? Do we have this? Like, what's, what are your plans? What do you want to do? Like, even something as simple as, do you want to be cremated? Like, a lot of couples don't even know what their wishes are that you assume maybe because of religious beliefs that this is what they want to do. But you do you actually really know what they um, have planned and intended. So, no, I th- appreciate you bringing this all to light. And so, Lisa, you got to meet Lori then through this experience uh, through hospice. Yes. So I've been working in hospice about 15 years. I met Lori, as she said, when I was the hospice social worker for her husband, Joe, and their family. He was on hospice for two weeks and two days at home, um, which is a pretty typical amount of time for people that are um, young in their early 40s like he was. Um, We typically don't see a lot of people come on to hospice um, very early and when they're younger, although Um, I always love when we do because we have more time to really provide support and resources. Um, I don't know if you've had people talk much about hospice um, with, you know, on your every other Sunday webinars. (laughs) We have a little bit, but I think it's always beneficial to hear other people's perspective of, you know, we've done some some definitions about the difference between palliative care and hospice care, but I would love for you to go into, like you just you just mentioned, like sooner than later, right? Like the earlier that we can get involved with um, someone in the hospice center and social workers and nurses to really help make that transition easier. I'd love for you to share a little bit more about, about that in your role and how you help the families um, kind of through the next couple of months, weeks, or days as it may be. When Joe came on to hospice, um, you know, that was about 13 years ago, and palliative care was pretty much just um, the team who would see someone in the hospital when the prognosis was really, really poor. And, you know, the doctors would say, can you have a conversation with this family about, you know, if they want to become a do not resuscitate, if they want to come on to hospice, that was kind of what palliative care used to be. And now it's fortunately evolving to provide more outpatient resources. And so I really encourage anyone with a serious illness to look into palliative care because it's this extra layer of support of um, social work. There's chaplains available and they prioritize not only pain management, but also 
the emotional and spiritual and and physical support of, of a patient and their family. So, mm-hmm. so palliative care, you don't have to have a certain prognosis. You just need to be serious, have a serious illness. That's it. For hospice, it is based on a prognosis. So you need to have a terminal diagnosis and then a um, here in the United States, a prognosis of six months or less, which is no exact science as I'm sure everyone knows. I mean, we have patients who have been on service with us for a couple of years because we don't, we don't know, you know, we make our best guess on, on prognosis, but I love working in hospice. I think that the value that we can bring to patients and their families, I end up as the social worker providing more support to the, to the family because often the, the patients, some depending on how sick they are, you know, mm-hmm. but if, but if they're just trying to manage their symptoms, then I'm spending a lot of time supporting the family. Um, and the hospice team has a physician, social worker, chaplain, bath aides, if it's needed, um, a manager, you get supplies and medications delivered to you typically, um, and they're covered. Um, hospice is a Medicare benefit and it's covered hundred percent. It's also covered by almost every single, uh, medical plan, Medicaid, private insurance. It's, it's very well covered just overall. So, so finances should never be a reason why people wouldn't have access to, to hospice here in the United States. And I am going to put you and Lori on the spot as well. Um, and I don't know if this is, this pertains to your situation directly, but some of the questions that we also get are, you know, is there an interview process to select a hospice? I know some people might just choose one because it's either recommended by their doctors or um, logistically it's close by and that's the one option for them in their area. Lori, did you look around for various hospice centers before selecting one? No, it all came from a card that was handed to us by uh, Joe's oncologist. And I do have to say, I, I wish I would have known more about hospice. I wish we hadn't, you know, been like so many people of not knowing what it was and saying, no, 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 I don't want to no, it's an awful word. I don't know what it is, but I don't want it. But really, I mean, it was such an incredible experience to have. It was so helpful. And I wished we hadn't done that. I wished we knew more about it. You know, for us, it was like, as soon as we call, then that's the end. And that's not necessarily the case. But for us, it was, you know, I got a card on a Friday, and I had to use the card on a Sunday. So, you know, there was no, no choice. I could have, but I think it was in the chaos of like, okay, this is it. And here it is, I'm just going to call. But just having that staff and having people like Lisa, the social worker, I mean, it just was so incredibly helpful in the transition at the end there. And I just, again, I wish I would have known more about it. And I do as to Lisa's plug about hospice. Um, It just at end of life, it's, it's so incredibly helpful. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's what we also hear too, right? It's like, I wish I had known. And part of this is to get the word out to, to kind of change the stigma of death and hospice, right? It's this supportive complement to our care. And I'm really glad that, uh, Lisa, you brought up like the financial barriers and how there shouldn't be any, and that this is something that really is accessible for people. 
the the reciprocal question, Lisa, I don't know in your experience outside of Lori, do people come to you and have any sort of like, I, w- I wouldn't call them like interview questions, but like as they're selecting a hospice center, I know some centers have more of a religious affiliation where others do not. Some have more um, integrative opportunities such as like acupuncture or um, aromatherapies, et cetera, when kind of finding a facility that's important to the person. Um mm-hmm. What has your Those are all been? great questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you you answered your own question so beautifully. I um you know there's uh the National um, Hospice and Palliative uh, Care Association has a has a list of questions, and so there are some great resources out there so that people can can refer to to interview you know a hospice. I think. Just like for caregivers, I, I, you know, because um, hospices do not provide the caregiving, right? And so, typically, people will eventually need some sort of help, whether it's family members or someone paid. And um, and I'll say it's the same with hospice and with kind of looking for a caregiver. Is I think refer word of mouth is is really the it's really just the best way to go. If, if you hear great things, you know, if you know someone who's been on a hospice that's local, um, talking with them about their experience. Um, again, you can ask all of the questions and interview different hospice agencies. Um, but you know, a person who's been through it with an agency will kind of give you the real, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> the real look at how things are. Tell me a little bit about this entrepreneurial mindset you guys had about, okay, we're going to create something and how did you develop this game and a little bit about its history. Yeah, well, jumping on to the, um, the bereavement support and Lisa giving me extra time. Um, I think I was extra persistent as well because <laughs> she was, <laughs> please come over and talk to me. So she did. And, you know, it just was all new information because I hadn't talked about any of this Mm -hmm. and I didn't know any of this. So Lisa was there and just really helped answer these questions that I had. And really from months and months of having these conversations, you know, I started to feel a little cheated in that, you know, I, Joe and I, many years before we started a family sat down and we did did the paperwork. We had the advanced directives and a will and life insurance. But, you know, I think we did what most people do is that you fill it out and you stick it in a binder and you stick it in a shelf and you never refer back to it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there were details in those documents that we didn't talk about and, and beyond. So, you know, the more we talked about it and the more frustrated I got as to like, why, why didn't we have these conversations? And a lot of it is we just didn't know what to, to ask or, or how to start up a conversation. So, you know, Lisa and I talked, the more we talked about it, the more we realized that we wanted to, to do something about it. Like what's, what's out there and what can we present so that we can help people in my situation and people that Lisa sees on a daily basis that, you know, are either avoiding these conversations or don't know where to start. And coming from a background myself in comedy, it's like, let's start there. Let's add a little humor. Let's, let's figure out a way to, to spark the conversation. Let's figure out a way so that people aren't just on the spot after given a diagnosis to answer questions. Let's, you know, see if we can get something out there that, you know, get people talking about the word 
death than get people, you know, having, you know, dialogue that's important, but also enjoyable. So. Exactly. Yeah. So after many months of research, we came up with, let's, let's do a game. Let's do a card game and, you know, offer some multiple choice answers and see if we can get people to interact by asking and answering the questions and trying to guess partners answers and, and go from there. Oh, I love that. I have a flashback to like the newlywed game where like someone goes in the other room and you answer all these questions and see if the partner knows. (laughs) Yep. Yep. That's exactly it. (laughs) That's it. it. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, we, um, we have 112 cards, so there's a lot of questions. We tried to create the deck that's kind of able to be used for every sort of situation. And so some are more applicable to different people and at different times. So Lori and I are always talking about stacking the deck. So like, Mm you know, looking through the deck beforehand, if you're going to host people to come over and and pull out the questions you think that they would, um, that would be the best fit for that group or questions that you want to know the answer for curating can, can kind of help the game go smoothly too, if you know your audience. And so speaking of, you know, stacking the deck and knowing your audience, who is this mainly geared towards? We have quite a few people that work within the death space that buy the game to use um, with advanced care planning, death doulas, um, are, they buy a lot of our deck because they are looking for ways to start these conversations with community members and with clients. I use some of the questions with my hospice patients, um, but it needs to be the right person and it needs to be the right kind of setting where, you know, symptoms are managed and people are open to these conversations, that sort of thing. We're, we're really trying to have everybody have these conversations, you know, because it's not just people who have a, um, a diagnosis that need to think about what they want to happen in their final days. You know, Lori and I have no idea what tomorrow holds for either of us. And so we just believe in everyone should be prepared. I'm so excited. I think we should play a hand. Do you believe mediums communicate with the dead? (laughs) That was too hard. (laughs) Oh, no, I was trying to start (laughs) one. So the, the, the answers are A, yes, I've heard about or have experienced some amazing insights from a medium. B, not sure, but it's at least good for some entertainment value. Or C, no, they deliver nothing but fictitious news. I'm going to go with yes, A. I'm, no, an I'm, a. Going, I'm going with yes. <laughs> B? I'm, I'm with Kathleen. I, I, I'm like almost an A, but with a little bit of B. Yeah. Like I haven't experienced it myself. Either have I, but I want to. I've heard really great things from people. So I just need to find the right one. And like you said, I think it would be emotionally prepared for what I find out. Mm-hmm. You know, my sister thinks she's had quite a few experiences like that. Yeah. So I, I still, I don't know if that convinces me, but I know she's sure. Um, I'll ask one and it's uh, very topical to what we've been talking about um, on hospice. So uh, this card is my personal belief about hospice is a 
it's a hope crusher causing too much focus on end of life. B, it's a blessing allowing care and quality time at home. Or C, it's tough to beat the lazy river vibe of a morphine drip. Mm. So personal belief about hospice, A, it's a hope crusher causing too much focus on end of life. B, it's a blessing allowing care and quality time at home. Or C, it's tough to beat the lazy river vibe of a morphine drip. So put that up there. Well, I would go with B. Well, I know. I feel like now you all have to say, you know, you can't say A after I just gave you my spiel, right? I know some people who would say C, probably. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm with B. B. Yeah. Yeah, B. And I like this card because originally I, I was an A, and I think it brings up good conversations about people like me in that position before hospice of thinking that it's, you know, it's something that you don't want. So I think this is card is important for people to talk about because it does bring up conversations of people who have had it experience with it and they can sort of see mm -hmm. that, hey, this might be this might be a good thing. If we could linger on that a little bit, though. So recently, I received a text message from someone in our NBC community saying that a dear friend of ours was on hospice, right? And so I think going back to your letter A example, right, is I was getting this message because they were alerting me that things are going downhill quickly. Things are not going well, and there could be just a couple days left. And for us to just be aware and, you know, send sympathy and compassion to the family during this time. How do we, you know, when we're alerting friends and family about so-and-so is on hospice, it does seem to carry this connotation of things are looking very tragic, right? Um, versus, I'm looking back at you, Lisa, of like, if I got this message six months ago saying, oh, someone signed up for hospice, I'd be like, yeah, this is great. They're getting the support. But so much in my time, my experience has been, you know, we have 48 hours. This is what's happening. And we're watching and text messaging on real time to support the people. Um, and I'm seeing some heads nod too. So like, do you have any advice for that or how we can, I don't know. It's Maybe it's not even really a question. It's just my experience so far when I'm, you know, no, and I really relate to what you're saying, because like I said, I think, you know, traditionally what I see is people who are 90 years old come on to hospice sooner because family and them are all on board and they say, you know, I don't want to go back to the hospital. I just want to be at home with my family. But younger people, it, it, um, hospice does mean that, um, curative treatment has stopped. And so I think in a lot of the cancer communities, the curative treatments are going until the very end almost. And so they're just as kind of this flip and then they're on hospice. And so it looks very different. I mean, I have, my friend is on hospice right now and um, she has cancer and, but it's been over six months now. Um, because she opted early to be on hospice. And um, we are getting closer to the end, but it's a different kind of hospice experience, you know. 
Lisa and Lori, thank you so much for sharing your personal experiences, how you came into the death space, and this great game, the death deck that you both created, and giving us an opportunity to play some cards with you guys and start talking about death and making it less taboo. This has been really fun, and thank you so much for joining us. Wonderful. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you, too. So nice. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you, Queenie. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you for tuning in and listening to our podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media, and I'll link to all of our handles below. It would mean the absolute world to me if you could share this episode on social media. If we could reach just one more person, my heart would be filled. Your thumbs up, likes, hearts, comments, and shares are a great way to advocate and help elevate our voices and those of our guests. You can find out more about our organization and upcoming events and ways to connect via our website, survivingbreastcancer.org. I would like to acknowledge that all of the information on our podcast is from personal experiences, not a substitute for medical advice. Always consult your medical care team. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next week.